Hi, I'm BJ, and this is the Arcane Alienist Podcast. Hey everybody, I've got a recap from the last couple of sessions of my Old School Essentials game in the Mythic World of Erd, and then we're going to uh, we'll, we'll, do, we'll finish up with some calls. So that's what we've got on tap for today, so let's get started with the recap. Wait, I've got a break in here. There's a, I sense a, I sense a presence, uh, a, a new presence in the anchor sphere. I've got to, I've got to figure out what it is. Hold on just a second, let me see if I can... If I could tune in and figure out what's going on. We've heard all the solo podcasts and we know the names of the legendary anchorites. But now the Hydra of Discord, the Polyphony of Podcasting Quarrels, all joined together into a single podcast, Cerebravore, a bi-weekly show where a rotating group of podcasters discuss a variety of tabletop role-playing topics. Cerebravore, it'll devour your mind. Coming soon to podcatchers everywhere. Huh. Well... I guess we're all just going to have to keep an eye out for for that and see what happens when it arrives, won't we? Okay, back to the recap, already in progress. Um, I've actually... I, I didn't recap... the. I, this will be two sessions that, that, are, or that are two weeks apart for the Mythic World of Art. I didn't do the first one at the time I had ran the session because we kind of ran, ended in the middle of kind of a story beat and I, I wanted to, to run the second half of that kind of phase of the adventure to to just present them both together because they kind of fit fit well together um, so what, what had happened was the um, the party had been ambushed by Knowles and Knowles had taken over the forest and they realized that they the, the, they the safest place to get to that they quickly would be the dwarven um, Sulfur mine, uh, and and it became really apparent that there's knolls everywhere in the forest, but they seem to be heading towards the castle, and so the the, the party went there to kind of get some new, you know, repair some equipment and and rest up and heal and reprovision, uh, and are kind of hunkered down with the dwarves and, and kobolds in this gnome, or in this in this gnome in this mine, um, and that's where we pick up them deciding are they going to go to the the keep. Or are they going to go? Uh, what, what are they going to do? Well, I allowed Celestina, the magic user, whose background is that she's an astronomer, to uh, to kind of have a moment of safety outside as the knolls had turned southward towards the keep to to be able to go up and look at the stars and do some some astrology. Uh, and I gave her kind of a cryptic. You know, you read the stars and you do your calculations, and, and you get a, sort of a cryptic. You know, I kind of gave her kind of a Nostradamus kind of non-answer of uh you know walls of stone are beset by the beasts which obviously refers to the the knolls being around the the, the key the castle um but the way to the powder that burns is clear i think is what i told her so they had previously had been looking for where the bugbears have stashed all this gunpowder that, that the goblins had manufactured so uh, they were about to investigate they they'd gone into one cave and 
gotten into a scrap with an owlbear and, and some, some oozes and then come out and were ambushed by gnolls. But there was another cave right there they could see that, that they wanted to check out, but they were just too beat up to do it. So that, that divination sort of uh, let her know that that would be the safest route. Um, not safe to go, you know, not that they may not encounter resistance, but at least they could walk through the forest and get there without any danger as opposed to going to the castle and having to fight their way through knolls. Um, Doncha, who is, is a, a fighter that's recently joined the party, uh, his player felt like what he would do would be to head back and, and just take his chances and try to go defend the castle. Um, and so he took over playing uh, uh, Jessup the Thief, who, whose player actually wasn't able to make it to the session. So that, that was an easy thing for him to do. Uh, so they, they go back to where they were, they they go through the door where the uh, this this one has a a door, a kind of a crude door, and as opposed to just an open cave mouth, uh, with a sign that's in like common and goblin and dwarven and kobold and <laughs> most languages that, that that is welcoming people in, um, uh, um you know that that you know it's, it says it's I think it says safety security and repose for all all humanoids who want to enter. Um, and they kind of know this, God, this has got to be some kind of trap or some kind of sick joke. So they carefully enter the, the, uh, the, the cave mouth. They don't find anybody there. There's a T intersection where they go left or right. And they just chose to have, uh, Jessup the thief and, and their retainer, uh, Hegel, who's a kobold to creep ahead and, and, and scout things out. And then the party kind of comes up behind them. Uh, they, they find a room with three bugbears on guard. Uh, the bugbears notice them fight breaks out and so they're kind of in the, the hallway they kind of meet the bugbears halfway and into the kind of the tunnel between the room the bugbears are in where they'd come around the corner um and so they're 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 in the midst of this fight and somebody decides to um to uh shoot a gun and they're in these tunnels and there's just echoes all the way in, in every direct possible direction uh so what they didn't know yet was that kind of just not too far away was a the room the, the kind of the den of where all the most of the bugbears in the in the, the place are so some more bugbears come down and they've got some younger bugbears who are kind of statted out like hobgoblins because they're you know in the mythic world of Erd goblins after a hundred years become a hobgoblin and then after a hundred years more the hobgoblin becomes a bugbear and then after a hundred years more the bugbear grows into an ogre um, so the idea is they they start off small and clever and, and vicious, and then they kind of get bigger and lazier and dumber <laughs> the older they get. Um, but uh, so so they've got some 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 juvenile but well, they're not juvenile they're young bugbears but they're two hundred years old. Anyway, they uh, they've got about ten of those with them I think. So this mob of bugbears comes comes up and now they're they're pushing in from the other direction. They they come you know behind the party where they've established positions. We got some fights going on in both directions. Um, uh, they, they, they took care of the three they were fighting pretty quickly so that they really didn't have to spend much time being flanked on either side and, and then continue to fight back against these other bugbears. Um, and they, they handled them pretty well. There, there was very little damage. There was a mishap where, where Dolly the Dwarf threw a, a black powder bomb and, and missed, um, which when, when, it, when I, I treat it like a splash weapon, when it misses... Uh, you roll a d12, and then the it goes five feet in the direction, and treat treat the result of a d12 as a clock face. It goes five feet in that direction, and goes off anyway. 
Uh, so it fell short of the place she was trying to hit it. So it, it did manage to do a few points of damage to one of the bugbears in kind of their front rank. But it also, I think, did a point or two of damage to, to, to one of um, one of the party as well. But they did overcome the bugbears without, without a whole lot of damage or anything. Um, uh, the clerics were able to heal people as damage was taken so that there was never any really serious danger of anybody being seriously injured or dying. And they, they kind of wiped out... One of these younger bugbears turned and fled and was able to get away, but they, they took care of the rest of them. Down in the room where the, the original three bugbears were, um, Jessup the thief is down there, and he can hear people like calling, like, what's going on? Help us from either direction. So there's sort of tunnels leading out of this room in either direction. Uh, and that's where we left off. Uh, when we resumed... They proceeded to kind of investigate these noises and found that the the, the bugbears had two rooms where they were keeping prisoners. Um, <clears throat> there were four orcs who were the last members of the orc tribe that this chaos cult that seems to be behind everything had had um, brought in some mercenaries and slaughtered this tribe of orc and then resurrected their bodies as as, as zombies and ghouls. Uh, but these are the last four living orcs from this tribe. So of course they're really they're willing to help the the party payback to these bugbears who have been complicit in all this stuff. Uh, there are three kobolds from Hegel's tribe in there as well. There were four humans, two two merchants, uh, a couple who were uh, a married couple who were merchants, but two of their guards that, that had been escorting them when they had been kidnapped uh, down the tradeway. Two gnolls, which they decided to leave chained up because gnolls have, have been, they've had problems with gnolls and um, even though the gnolls are begging them and telling them that, oh no, we'll help you. Don't just let us go and we'll help you. They don't, they don't trust them because gnolls are basically mutated animals that are possessed by demons. So, so they're, they're not going to trust them. There's another large human, a berserker type of human. Um, and then there's a huge bugbear who, who says his name is Hugs and, uh, <coughs> H-U-G-G-Z, Hugs, who is the, was the, the lead bugbear. This was this was his group of bugbears, but when everything sort of started going south, the, the goblins and the hobgoblins got pretty much ran out. Most of them killed. The, the the remainders ran out of the forest by the party. You know what they had learned with with a previous encounter with bugbears is that the troll king had sent an actual troll to, to kind of put them back on track and see that they finished their mission, which has to do with you know stockpiling this gunpowder for some reason. Um, so he's upset. He wants to, he says, I'll help because this guy came in and, you know, it was the goblins and the hobgoblins that screwed everything up. I was doing my job, but but I got thrown in here and shackled as punishment um, because, I don't know, because I was in charge of the bugbears and he just took over. So yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to go help you guys off this guy. Um, one thing they notice is that all the shackles in here are, are made of bronze, again, reflecting the fact that, that the goblins are, are fae-like creatures, uh, the goblin kind, and then the, the, the touch of iron is, is not um, it's, uh, it's something they abhor, that, that it's kind of noxious to them, so, that, so they use bronze tools and weapons. Um, anyway, so now, <laughs> now we've got, a, which is already a fairly large party, we're talking about seven PCs, three retainers, and now they've got, you know, four orcs and three kobolds and two, uh, three human warriors and a bugbear that have agreed to kind of help them 
charge the assault on on this troll and the remaining bugbears that are, that are now working for him. Um, and the two merchants agree to kind of hang back in the back and just bear torches. You know, they can't fight, but they'll, you know, they'll hold torches um, since since the party is mostly human. <clears throat> so they, they they go down and make their way back the way, you know, the way that they're, they chase after where they saw this young bugbear flee to. Uh, and they get to a, a another kind of intersection and, and can tell, you know, they kind of tell where he went because there's immediately an empty room and then a hallway that kind of veers off to the right. Uh, but this hallway is lined with barrels of gunpowder, <laughs> kind of arranged in such a way that you can't just walk straight between them. You got to weave through kind in, in kind of a, a you know a Z pattern to get to the other side. And they sit around thinking for a minute, like, well, what are we going to do? Well, who's going to go first? Well, uh, you know, finally, you know, the the, the big bugbear says, "I'll go." Hegel kind of goes up. He sneaks up and kind of looks down the hall to see if he can see anything. He doesn't see anything. Well, the truth is he doesn't see anything because bugbears are really good at hiding. So there's some bugbears up there, but he can't see them because they're 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 well hidden, kind of in, in an alcove and around a corner. Uh, so the the bugs, the bugbear comes up with him. Roderick, who is the paladin, who Hegel is his retainer, comes up. The party starts to pick their way up, um, but before they can, anybody can get more than a, a couple of feet past the, the last couple of barrels, um, I was like, okay, let's roll for surprise, and now we'll roll for initiative. Um, and basically the hidden bugbears are up there with their own arquebuses. Um, and nobody thought to ask, but, you know, you know, I think an arquebus is going to have an iron barrel and mechanism, but they, they've wrapped them in cloth for anybody that would want to know so that they don't have to touch the iron directly. And they start shooting the gunpowder barrel. So they, 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 first two miss, but a third one hits a barrel of gunpowder. And how I did this was... If you hit the barrel of gunpowder with a gunfire, it explodes, and it does. It's just kind of like a fireball, um, a mini fireball. So it it, I think it kills a couple of the orcs, and it damages some of the other other people, but nothing too bad. But but if if a barrel of powder goes off, every adjacent barrel of powder, you roll a d6, and on a one or two, because that's kind of the I think the the rules for starting a fire with a tinderbox, um, will go off. So so this barrel was adjacent to two other barrels. One of them didn't go off, but one of them did. Anyway, by the time they had they had to slowly navigate this, I mean, they, they managed to get up with only a, a couple of the barrels actually being detonated by gunfire. Uh, but it really slowed down the number of people who could move up to fight with these bugbears as they continued to shoot at them and then start a melee with them. Uh, but they are able to get up to where these bugbears are uh, near this alcove, and there's a door in the alcove. So as as most of the people have started to get up to start to fight and are, are engaging in melee with the bugbears, the door swings open and there's a female bugbear, uh, also with an arquebus. She she, see, she just shoots the first target that's closest to her, which happens to be one of these these caravan guards, uh, and kills him. Um, so basically, what I thought was going <laughs> to, you know, I wondered even when I set up this encounter, maybe it was a little too hard. Um, they just had, had brought so many prisoners with them uh, out, out of the uh, the cells that they kind of meat shielded the party and saved them from taking a lot of damage. Uh, but standing behind this female bugbear is a troll. And in the mythic world of our trolls are not the D&D troll. They're not the big green rubbery skin, you know, blank eyed, uh, regenerating monsters. I, I tried to 
create them more like the actual trolls from Norse mythology. So this thing is the size of a troll or of an ogre, but it's standing erect and it's got kind of uh, fey features as well as big prominent horns and, and, and you know, yellow sinister eyes. And uh, it, it kind of is standing behind just taking an, an assessment of what's going on out in the hallway. It doesn't do anything the first round. Um, but then the second round it starts chanting. And they're like, oh, he's going to cast a spell. Well, nobody could get to it or shoot at it to try to disrupt the spell. So they couldn't do anything about it the way things had lined up. And he drops an actual fireball, you know, just out into the hallway and it blows up. Um, pretty much, uh, anyway, one of, I, I, I got to back up. One of the uh, NPCs that they, they found or, or, you know, and the prisoner was a, a female dwarf named Inghild, and she was actually her her brother was the head of the clan when when the bugbears came and ran him out of their mind, and she and her brother stayed to fight while the rest the rest of the dwarves fled to the to the human keep, <clears throat> you know, down through the forest, and so uh, she's gone with him because of course she wants to get revenge for her brother and and uh, you know clan honor and things like that. Well, when it comes down to it her and the big bugbear hugs and one orc are the only ones left of the NPCs and they're still up and fighting, but the fireball put everybody, all but three of the party into to negative hit points. <laughs> so Roderick, the paladin, he, he's like, he's got one hit point left. Um, he crawls over and, and is able to lay on lay hands on a couple of people and, and stabilize them, but not enough to, to wake them up. Jessup, the thief, who is the one of the other ones who's still up, uh, manages to uh, get to the clerics and help revive them and get them back on their feet so they can start to stabilize and then heal other people. Uh, and this, is, of course, plays out over the course of two or three rounds. And then Harold, the, uh, the fighter who is still up, joins with Hugs the Bugbear and this last orc and trying to get into the room. And then they're joined by Roderick as well after he's, he's laid on hands and then uh, also healed himself up a little bit. Um, also with him, <laughs> the character who, who played Doncha, who said it seems like he would ride to the end of the heap, he said, I'll just have a new character when we come back. Uh, so in between the two sessions, he had made a character, an elf, that was also among the prisoners. And I failed to mention him because he basically went down before he could do anything. <laughs> you know, in the fireball blast and really show off. But what he is, because we're starting to move some of the old school advanced rules in, is he's going to play, he's actually a kineticist, which is, it's not really a monk and it's not really a psionicist. It's got some, you know, powers that that, 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 are, that function kind of like spell-like abilities, um, but it's, 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 it's almost kind of like a Jedi, um, but not like overpowered like a Jedi. So, We'll be interested to see next time what he can do, but for this time he went down and was. They just had to stabilize him. He went into negative hit points and they were able to stabilize him so he didn't bleed out, but they didn't get him back up above zero so he could wake up and do anything. Um, but the remaining people that I just listed off do manage to get through the door. Um, there, there's, a, there's a moment where there's some dialogue from Hugs that identifies the female bugbear as his mate, kisses. K I Z Z E S. So yes, hugs and kisses. That was the that was the dad joke for the for the session. Um, dad, but she's betrayed him and 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 you know didn't side with him when this troll showed up to take over. So they fight their way past her. The troll 
it makes a couple of melee attacks with his huge club, uh, and then uh, or more like a huge mace, and then he uh, casts a um, mirror image on himself, so they have to get rid of his duplicates before they can actually uh, hit him for real. Uh, so he gives himself another round, but then he winds up getting surrounded and takes a couple of hits, and it's clear that he's not going to make it. So he did have an invisibility spell, but he started chanting, and someone hit him and disrupted his spell, and then the next person that hit him killed him. Uh, so it was a tough fight. I, I, I uh, you know, they still pulled through, but not without some some serious damage. And if they hadn't had all those kind of NPC meat shields, I, we may have lost a few party members on that one. Uh, anyway, they, uh, we stopped there that uh, we had gone, that whole battle with, with getting past the barrels and, um, uh, fighting the bugbears and the troll took the entire session, which is pretty, I think pretty atypical for old school essentials for one battle to take up an entire game session. But we just had so many NPCs and enemies. I think it just, it just drew it out. So I don't think that'll be typical going forward. It's certainly about um but uh it was a lot of fun. Fun for me. I the players seemed to have fun. They, they also they had fun. Um and that's kind of where we wrapped up. They're going to let me know before the next session what their next plan of action are. You know, they can either go back and they've obviously got to go rest for a few days and, and benefit from some some healing. Uh, so they may go. They can go back to the dwarves. They know that's safe. They can risk going to the castle and seeing if the gnolls are still laying siege to it, uh, or they can hang out here in this cave and just just heal up. And I told them, you know what the merchants say? They'll take all the loot you guys found after you search the rooms when when you defeated all the bugbears. They'll they'll take it and hold it for you, or if they can get to the keep, they'll even you know cash it in and liquidate it and 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 put the money in the bank for you, um, so you can come claim it. Um, but you guys tell me what you want to do. They haven't told me yet, so so we'll know next time where we're going to start off. Um, anyway, that's the uh, update for Old School Essentials. All right, well, we're going to start the calls off with a brand new caller, the Pink Phantom. I know he's called into a couple of other the you know uh, podcasts that that, that I uh, listen to on Anchor. That, that some of my other frequent callers like Joe Richter and. Uh, Jason Connerly's podcast, so but this is the first time I'm getting a call from him. So let's hear his thoughts on giving black powder weapons to D and D characters. Hey BJ, Pink Phantom here. I was listening to you talk about black powder, and I was wondering if maybe those kind of firearms could end up being the fighter's fireball, something they can't use every round, but just every once in a while something that can do big damage compared to the regular weapons and uh you know but something that has the potential to go wrong and have blowback on the party with it with the explosive results just a thought thanks for the call i appreciate it um always happy to get a new caller i think uh i think that's a good idea very worth considering is that this is a big bang thing that kind of it is the maybe the fighter's fireball, you know, you get to use it sparingly. It has a large effect. It has a potential risk involved. Um, and then, uh, and then, yeah, but it's not just something you get to do every round or every other round, like a, like you would with a crossbow or a bow with, with you know, I, I think that's a good way to consider. And that's what, I think that's what 
players who've looked at kind of the way we the rule set that comes in Carcass Crawler for use with old school essentials have both kind of both both groups of players I've had look at it has said this this is kind of cool but you know it does a little more damage than a bow or a crossbow but it seems like it ought to really be more there ought to be more oomph there um, more bang for the buck so to speak uh, as as a trade off for the added expense and the fact that they're loud and it you know once you've shot them off in the dungeon there's no more sneaking around at least not easily um, but may, maybe counterbalancing that with you know in OSE, it's a 10-second round, and, and I think I, I yeah we kind of we kind of looked into it. And I don't I don't not read much historical accounts of anybody being able to, to load an actual uh, black powder weapon in 10 seconds. Um, you know, it's more like a you know half a minute to a minute, or if if that if that quickly. Um, and those are usually disciplined soldiers who who are trained with a musket as their primary weapon during the colonial era. So. Uh, yeah, maybe maybe less use, but but much bigger effect is the way to go if you want to really have them stand out from other, you know, other other kinds of weapons. At least as you would use them in in old school essentials, but maybe any other version of D and D as well. Uh, excellent point there. And again, thanks for calling in. Hope to hear from you uh, uh, in future episodes as well. Call anytime you like. And now we've got some calls from Jason Connerly of the Nerds RPG Variety Cast uh, regarding the use of hirelings and henchmen. Hey, BJ Jason here. Thank you for continuing to do the recaps. I haven't done very many recaps lately over my show, so I appreciate you doing them over here. You're doing a great job doing those. As far as henchmen go in games, I really like henchmen hireling. I hirelings. I really enjoy them. Carl's used them in most of the games I've played with him. When we did the Broken Lands game, we had a war party that, you know, the, the group had put together and we had our own faction. And that was a lot of fun. But the, the good thing about that was the PCs were still the most powerful things. Where lately, and it may be the different style games, but we're, we're getting really powerful hirelings and all which I wonder if like let's talk about the DCC ones so in DCC for the most part these hire these henchmen that we have are almost exposition machines and they're they're quite a bit more powerful and they're almost easy buttons for some of the things we're facing and for exploring the castle and I almost wonder if it's because Carl feels we did a bad job exploring the castle and we weren't doing a good job of getting into the backstory or exploring the mysteries. So he had to put these exposition machines in there to give us the information because we failed as players. And and that's why he has these, these really powerful henchmen in there to help us because we're not good players. That's kind of how I feel in the DCC game. Where, in the, like I say, the Broken Lands game, I know you didn't play in that, but it never felt like that in that game. So I, I, that bothers me a little as a player because it makes me think I'm not doing a good job and, and questions my worth. But anyhow, great show, and I will talk to you soon. Yeah, Jason, I think, um, you know, my perspective on the the henchmen we've accom- gotten in DCC is that, you know, Carl is adapting a an existing adventure module. Um, I get the sense those were just features of the castle that were kind of in there. And that to the extent that they've been become somewhat of exposition machines, is just because we ask them, you know, we 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 have a 
the ghost of the the uh, seneschal or, or uh, you know, um, the right hand of, of one of the former Castellans who can tell us some things about the layout of the castle and the history of the castle. So we just ask him and he would logically know. And then um, you've got a... Um, but the, the the guardian or the, the the demon skull that your character has that, that knows a little bit about just some arcane lore. Um, so so yeah, I don't know if, if it's so much Carl thinks we're doing a bad job is just that we, we we happen to come across existing NPCs that would be uh, be helpful to providing us with advice and information and and uh, history that that we wouldn't otherwise have access to, but. You maybe Carl can call and clarify which of the two, <laughs> which of the two it is. Whether whether it's his way of helping us out because we've missed some clues, or whether that's just kind of a natural evolution of, of the way the adventure has gone. Um, yeah, I think uh, I think generally, you know, when you've got a small party, which is two or three, you know, maybe four players, henchmen and hirelings are, are, are a good thing. I think when you've got a large party, you know, where you've got seven or eight people already pl playing that, that they start to, you know, at least full, full on retainers or henchmen that are, um, you know, basically statted as player characters and have a level and, and all that stuff can kind of bulk up the party and, and bog things down versus when you've just got, you know, this, this is Bob and he's our, one of our spearmen and this is Harry and he carries the torch and this is, we have two crossbowmen that, and then they're just kind of low level, you know, <laughs> extra attacks, you, you know, things like that. That's a little different when you're just talking about kind of hireling mercenaries who don't have much of a personality or motivation other than to get paid, um, you know, versus, versus henchmen, which are kind of more fleshed out NPCs. Um, but yeah, so, you know, I think that, that crowds the table a little more because they've got more options that they can do and you got to level them up and keep track of their XP and things like that. Um, but at the same time, you know, just hirelings that stay as sort of zero level one level characters, by the time you start taking on bigger challenges, they're just cannon fodder and you're always having to replace them. <laughs> and, you know, if you supposed to be, if you get a replace a, a reputation of getting all your hirelings and mercenaries killed, you're, you're going to have a harder time hiring people in the, uh, in the future. So, um, there's probably a good balance in there of, of when, when it's too much and when it's not enough and when it's just right. And it probably varies from, from game to game and, game system to game system and campaign to campaign. Uh, but I think you're making some excellent point there, excellent points there about um, the use of, of hirelings, henchmen, and retainers. Uh, so thanks for that call. And we've got, uh, oh, here we, we got something else from Jason. Let's see what he has to say. Oh, as a addendum, I also wonder how, uh, I'm really curious to see your, because you're talking about really spinning up two separate Temple Elemental Evil campaigns, and obviously you're going to tweak them a little bit, and things are going to differ for the two different groups, because, you know, the different groups are going to do different things, but but I wonder how that's going to play into your recaps, if you're going to work, if they're going to be different enough that it's not going to matter, or if you're worried that if one group gets ahead of the other, spoilers are going to come out for one side or the other, potentially. I, I wonder, and obviously you can't openly talk about how different the two campaigns are going to be, but I wonder if you, you've given thought to that. So I am curious to see how that shakes out as well. Yeah, I think what I'm going to do is slow down on the frequency of recaps 
for now on those two as they get launched because I think we will they'll be they'll be launching maybe back to back you know on <laughs> on uh, on separate um uh separate days or within a week of each other I I've got to look at my calendar to know for sure but I think what I might do is is, is slow down on the recaps and try to time them to a point where I can where both pe- both groups have gotten to a point that I can talk about what they've done so far that doesn't spoil any, any anything that the other party has not yet come to and interacted with and, and, and gone with or kind of looked past and said, now we're not interested in that, we'll, we'll go on with something else, whereas the other group might have taken interest in it and, and something developed there. So I th- I, I'm going to try to do that to where... You know, and it, it, I can recap both groups at once at intervals where it's not going to spoil the campaign for anybody in the other group who might be listening, but they still get a sense of maybe how another group handled that, those same situations. Um, so one, we can see how, how the different game systems, uh, 5th edition D&D and Old School Essentials, handle the adventure, but we can also just see how different groups of people, based on the choices they make, might might create different outcomes narratively that, that could have been very similar or may become very different depending on what they do. So that was kind of my plan. We'll see if it works. If not, I may have to try to think of something else. Uh, now we have a call from uh, Carl Rodriguez of the Geomologist Presents talking about high-level play in 5th edition D&D uh, in response to my, my last recap of Storm King's Thunder. So take it away, Carl. All right, I haven't listened to your whole show, but I had to call in before I forget because that's what happens when you get older. So I really am more sold on high-level D&D 5e play uh, with your recaps of Storm King's Thunder. Now, I don't know if I'd run that one. It's an investment. I know we're going to do a palate cleanser of um, some Ghosts of Saltmarsh. So like, you know, the the redos of the Danger at Dunwater and Sinister Secrets of Saltmarsh and stuff like that. Um, well, probably just Sinister Secrets, but it makes me want to like dive into Yawning Portal and then have the characters, have the players make high level 5e characters and do like against the giants or something or, or Barrier Peaks, not Barrier Peaks, the other one, White Plume Mountain or shit, Goodman Games did Barrier Peaks. Maybe I should do that one. But anyway, thanks for those. Um, it's inspiring to hear that crazy high level of play that is still dangerous. Hey Carl, yeah, um, these are ninth level characters. I mean, for the last few sessions, I've described I think they'll be tenth level for the big finale coming up later this week. Um, so I, when you say high level play for five V, I don't know if you're talking about ninth, tenth level. If you're thinking more like you know thirteenth, fourteenth, fifteenth level, but uh, you know, I, I think Wizards of the Coast's own uh, marketing research says that most campaigns kind of either come to a natural conclusion or kind of fizzle out <laughs> somewhere between, uh, you know, 8th and 12th level or something like that, if I'm remembering right correctly. Um, it is, it does create a fundamentally different game once you get kind of into the second tier of play, um, which can be a lot of fun, but it's it's a challenge on the DM to make sure you do something that, that's dangerous and deadly and, and still, um, you know, keeps, keeps the players on their toes because I, I, I noticed... Right before I started up in the challenge rating, these last, but at time to time in some of these last few sessions, 
they were getting pretty like it was almost kind of boring. <laughs> we were socializing while we were playing D and D, and then uh, the, the last fight had a little more. Oh no, we got to figure out how to you know we, we got stuff to do. <laughs> we're getting hit. We're getting in danger. It's it's kind of you know the 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 bad guys are, are seem like real threats again. Um, so you know, I think I've learned some lessons about how to how to run five e from from doing this that I died probably not really thought about before finally having characters at this level and seeing the effects of, of them having that much power um so we'll see um we'll see what happens with future 5e games that i run when characters start to get a little more power under their belt and it's a little harder to challenge them uh, and i think i've learned that you just got to ratchet up the the uh the aggression and the power the the, the strength of the, the enemies you throw at them so but uh yeah um Good luck with the Ghost of Salt Marsh. That's a, that's a good. I, I love Salt Marsh. Um, I'm playing in a in a five E Salt Marsh right now, um, but I ran, I ran the original version back back some time ago, several years ago, and um, it's got a it's it's a good. There's a reason it's considered one of the all time classics. So I hope you enjoy it. Be sure and take advantage of the uh, the appendix on ships and and and, and nautical adventures. Um, it's it's really cool. And finally, here's a series of calls, uh, one from, again, from Jason, and then we've also got Daniel Norton of the Bandits Keep podcast and Colin Green of Spike Pit, and these are in regards to my episode where I did an actual uh, kind of solo play with Old School Essentials Advanced. Hey, BJ, Jason, enjoyed your actual play. I had tried to do this with AD&D. I randomly generated a party and started out and then got over, well, the one game kind of got hijacked and turned into a play-by-post, which fell by the wayside. And then the other stuff just, you know, never came together and got buried with calls and this and that. But, no, you did good. I, I enjoyed it, and it's interesting. And I, I won't tell you the parts I was yelling at you about the rules, so it's all good. Um, I, if you keep doing this, of course, I'll keep listening. So, and, and since you're doing it, I don't have to, so that's a big plus. So, good job, and... Yeah, I, I thought it was interesting. Um, yeah, no, no negative comments about it. I thought thought it was good. Thought the length was good. And, you know, you, you put out one of these once a week or once every two weeks or something, and it's all good. So just keep up your regular show, too. Take care. Hey, Jason. Thanks. Um, you know, it was your actual play that actually gave me the idea to do this. I'm, I'm, I kind of wish you'd been able to continue that. It was, I was, I liked hearing where it was going and the way you were setting it up. So, uh, maybe you'll do it again sometime, but yeah. Um, I don't know. Um, I've talked to Jason <laughs> since this call came in and his, uh, he, he was yelling at me about the rules, the, the place where I caught where I'd made a mistake with the rules by allowing people to kind of shoot over the heads of their allies and, and, and at enemies without any kind of penalty or, 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 or just saying, you know, you can't do it because you don't, you don't have a clear clear line of sight. So I did catch myself there, but I, that that's what he was talking about. So, uh, yeah, but yeah, yeah. Um, thanks for the for the inspiration, Jason. That's kind of how I got the idea to do it. Hey, BJ Daniel again. Finished the episode. Um, so I'm not one normally to listen to a lot of actual plays, but I actually like the the type that you're doing here, where it's a solo kind of working the way through the rules and stuff. So I, I really enjoyed it. Um, I think it was a good length as well. And it wasn't, uh, 
too overly bogged down with technical, but it gave a good idea of what you were thinking. And I also enjoy that, you know, you're, you're thinking about it from the DM's point of view, like, Hey, I'm, I'm working my way through this dungeon, uh, kind of almost like a test. At least that's what I'm getting from this. So that if I want to run player characters through it, like, how would it be? And like, how are the combats? How does this work out? Does it take a long time? What's the logistics? And I think that's actually really, really useful. So I enjoyed it. Uh, you know, so that's one vote for enjoying. <laughs> Um, but yeah, it's so far pretty cool. You know, I've been avoiding the advanced classes. I just don't, I don't know. They don't really suit my game right now, but so far, I mean, there's only really been a combat, so it's not hard to really know, but so far they seem to, to be super smooth. I cut off there. So uh, what I was going to say was so far they seem to be integrating like very smoothly into the, the game. It doesn't feel chunky or awkward, like some homebrew type classes that I've seen can. So yeah, I'm, I'm curious. Um, like I said, I don't know why anybody would play a human thief once you start adding those things in, but that's fine. Nobody needs to play a human thief. And I think that, um, that it's a pretty cool little series, so I look forward to hearing more. Thanks, Daniel. I find live plays to be very informative, but they can also be very very time-consuming. I mean, if you think of just like the, the Cadillac of live plays probably right now is Critical Role. And, you know, when Critical Role first started airing on YouTube – I would actually sit with my rule books and, and watch an episode and then as players, maybe not for their just general, you know, tack rolls and stuff, but whenever someone would pull out a spell or a special ability, I'd look it up and read it in the book. And that's kind of how I learned a little more in depth about kind of running 5e and all the rules for 5e. Uh, and there are times when I would even catch, you know, Matt Mercer making a mistake in, in, in his rulings. Um, and of course, DMs don't make mistakes; they just make alternative rulings, right? <laughs> but where he had he had deviated, whether whether accidentally on purpose from from the rule as written, um, but you know the game continued to go on, so it is what it is. Um, I, I think he's a pretty good DM, but man, committing three hours a week to follow somebody's actual play ongoing, or just three hours here or there to to, to watch just one session of somebody playing a game you want to learn about, it can be pretty pretty taxing so i thought I, I that's where i thought maybe i'll just keep these at 20 to 30 minutes and and, and if you know for as long as people are interested and we'll, we'll keep going for a little while but yeah i i i'm glad you appreciated the length uh, jason mentioned that as well um and, and colin will here in a minute um that that was kind of my goal there was to make it digestible and not oh my god i gotta sit and listen to this guy talk for, for two and a half hours no i don't want to do that um on the the thief i, I may have uh misspoken a little bit on the uh or, or given the wrong impression because it's bx you're still using the bx thief class even if you let a demi-human do it so um if you just use the the, the class they, they don't get any kind of uh as written they don't get any kind of bonus to their thief skills based on their race it's just still the same flat fixed progression that a human thief would get and of course human thieves get the two and six to hear noises um, which is just kind of equivocal to what a demi-human is going to get, except for the demi-human as a thief, it's going to improve at higher levels like it would with a human thief. So really there's no advantage there to them other than their their, their demi-human, unique demi-human abilities like infravision or noticing doors if you're talking about an elf or, or, or other, you know, uh, better saving throws for, 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 for gnomes and halflings and dwarves. Um but I also included that optional carcass crawler rule where it's converting it to a D6. And at that point, you, you do get that one kind of advantage early on for, for demi-humans, for the listening at doors, is that they get the two and the six already. So you, you can you can 
avoid having to put an, a point into that just get it just to get it to the two and six at first level uh, so you can let that ride for a little bit before you want to think about spending one of your points to to boost it up so i may have oversold the, the benefits of inadvertently oversold the benefits of a demi-human thief using the the optional old school essentials advanced rules um and of course the with with old school essentials they, they recommend that if you're going to um allow demi-humans to, to, to hold classes that, that uh, humans don't, that you might add some extra uh, oomph to a human, and they give some suggestions in there about, about what to do, like letting them, um, give them an, an initiative bonus and, and letting their, giving their retainers a little more loyalty, um, you know, an extra point of loyalty um, when, when they have to roll for morale and things like that. So, um I may discuss that in more detail another time. I think I may have skimmed over that uh, when I did my general review of, of Old School Essentials Advanced. Anyway, uh, thanks, Daniel, for the call. I hope you keep listening. And uh, high praise, knowing that that's not usually your thing, but you, you enjoyed it and, and um, want to hear more. So thanks. Hi, PJ. Uh, a bit of feedback for you on the OSE playthrough you did. On paper, I was a little bit skeptical of the idea, I have to say. I thought, man. Uh, I don't know. Let's see what BJ can bring us. Um, seems like quite a, a tough one to pull off. Solo adventuring. Not really my thing at the best of times, but I was surprised and delighted to listen. I think uh, what I found most interesting was, in fact, th- the way you were thinking out loud. It was almost like a, a, a DM's designer notes if if you like I mean I always like that stuff in in rule books I've, I've said it many a time uh, and at the risk of repeating myself I, I find it enlightening just to hear your thought processes so uh, yeah really enjoyed it I thought you got the length about right take care catch you later thank you Colin uh, I'm glad you enjoyed it and I think you you, you echo Daniel's comments on both the length uh, being kind of appropriate and also for the uh Hearing my thought process as the DM as I as I'm running the encounter, uh, yeah, that's kind of what I wanted to do was was to use this as much to to demonstrate the rules for people who may, maybe weren't familiar with them or just kind of curious about how they work. Um, so uh, and and you know, there's there's umpteen people out there doing BX or you know, classic old school essentials. So I thought I'd do something with the advanced rules just to, just to test them out and to, to share my experience doing that with everybody else. So, uh, thanks again for the call and I'll talk to you later. And that's going to do it for this episode. Uh, I want to thank, uh, my callers, Colin Green of the Spike Pit, um, podcast daniel norton of bandits keep podcast carl rodriguez of the geomologist podcast and uh, jason connerly of the rpg variety cast also thanks for the for uh to the the pink phantom for his uh his first call good to hear from me i don't think he has a podcast but he's he's on the anchor scene you know calling all the other podcasters and being part of the discussion so welcome welcome to the community um and of course also thank everybody else for listening Uh, I'm going to get out of here, but I'll be back with another episode later. Thanks for listening to the Arcane Alienist podcast. The music you're hearing is Come and Get It by Scott Holmes Music. The cover art I use for the episodes is by Dave Bone. 
be sure and check out his website, ironseer.com, for a lot of other great gaming-related content. You can always leave me a voice message through the Anchor app or at the Anchor website, or you can email me at arcane.alienist at gmail.com. Once again, I appreciate you listening. Thanks so much.